Thursday, July 9th, and you're back with another episode of Kentucky Politics Weekly. As always, I'm your host, Trey Watson, and joined uh, by my, my gambling buddy from yesterday, Tom Stevens. Uh, if you, if you yeah, were, apparently, if, I'm good luck. If you were, if you were following the uh, Kentucky Politics Weekly Twitter feed and you were betting with me, you were making money. If you're betting with Tom, not so much. Uh, <laughs> that was, uh, Tom, I think yeah, that was my single I best day. Of- down there at some point in there. I think that was my single best day of horse gambling ever, Tom. Uh, I wish you'd told me that <laughs> at some point in there. I would, I would have started matching your bets. <laughs> All you right, might, well, your stakes might be a little bit higher than mine. True. Well, let's let's get to our guest. Uh, we, we are joined today by an old buddy of mine, a former co-worker at uh, the early days of Run Switch PR and uh, fellow political operative, but on the opposite side of the aisle, Mr. Will Carley. Will, how are you doing, my friend? Great. Thanks for having me on today, Trey. Appreciate it. Yeah, Great absolutely. Great to meet you and Tom. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's kind of good news, bad news. You know, we started off doing all these, all these podcasts in person, trying to get guests to come down here, and uh, the, the COVID's kind of forced us to have to, uh, have to do Zoom, and it's actually worked out well, because we've been able to get a whole, whole host of different people, and you don't have to schlep down to my, to my home office and hang out here. I just here wanted to see the tap room in your basement. I mean, that's, the, that's the old house. That's the oh old man, house. okay. Well, I'm way out of the loop. We'll have to have to. This one's got the pool though, so you know we've got a pool and a pond. Pond be good for you. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, let's get into some news items here, and I guess the big the big news item that's gonna be much talked about the next couple of days. It sounds like, uh, based on the governor's press conference yesterday, it sounds like a mask mandate is coming down the pipe today. A lot of other states have done this already. Um, you know, I, I, before we kind of get, get to the mask mandate part, I, I find it interesting. I see all these people complaining on Twitter about like, oh, all these other countries are, are so far ahead of us and they've done this, that, and the other, and we haven't done this. I, I think before you do get, get, get any discussion of this stuff, you have to remember that we are unique globally for the, for the type of government that we have. Our federal government cannot say there's a nationwide mask mandate now. They can certainly string money along and try to bribe states into doing it. But, you know, unlike England, Canada, Singapore, you know, New Zealand, wherever the federal government can't just wave a magic wand because of our system of federal federalism. So, you know, it, it's it. You've seen an increasing number of states. Even Texas has gone to a full mask mandate. Our numbers uh, look like they were in control. They're back up over 400. And so it sounds like uh, today we're going to have a mandate. And I'm already seeing people uh, saying they're going to challenge it in court. So. You know, I mean, for me, actually, I think this is kind of why the federal government's there, to be honest. Uh, and maybe that's the, you know, uh, Democrat in me, but um, our system does work this way best, uh, especially in times of crisis. Uh, you know, if that was the case, we wouldn't have been able to say, hey, we're going to ration certain, you know, supplies during wartime in World War II, or that, uh, you know, you can't uh, draft soldiers only from certain states that are willing to abide by this. Um, you know, in times of crisis, uh, you know, we, we need a strong response from a central government instead of letting 50 different states choose and make up their own rules, which apparently, not apparently, is obviously uh, not working out very well, um, especially in states that uh, have not uh, been as, um, I think, proactive as Kentucky and other places uh, and making sure that we were socially distancing, that we did go into some form of shelter in place quickly. I think Governor Bashir has done a very admirable and laudable job uh, to make sure that Kentucky is not one of the states that's in, in as much peril as others are right now. 
you know, well, yeah, first of all, I think there are ways that you can get around. And Tom, you're the lawyer. You can comment on this if you want. I think there's ways you could get around the kind of inability to put a, you know, you could, you could kind of say, uh, use the same, same logic that like, for example, the Obama administration used on, uh, on uh, climate change issues that, you know, well, pollutants that come up from one state cross the borders into another state and therefore, you know, you can do it. So pandemic, it's, you know, the, the Trump administration obviously is run by interesting people and they, they've, they've not been willing to, uh, to take, take quite that step that far. You know, I, I'm glad that, that they're mandating this, you know, I, I see no scenario under which masks violate your, your freedoms. I mean, it's, it's a simple, it, it's part of being a good member of society. You know, it has nothing, to, it has nothing to do with yourself. It has to do with protecting others and making others feel comfortable around you. Uh, you know, so I, I have no problem with the governor doing it. Probably, probably should have been done a, a while ago. Um, yeah. I mean, isn't, isn't the devil kind of in the details? I mean, let's yes. just say Governor Bashir signs an executive order and says to all of us peons, thou shalt wear a mask. Okay. How? I mean, I, how are you going to enforce I it? I know it's not a, it's, a, no, you can't. And you got to lock people you know, up. You, 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 you enforce it through social stigma, right? Like I gave yeah. you an example yesterday. I'd come out of the gym and I had to mail a package. So it was one of those return deals where they give you the label and you just drop it off. And lo and behold, dumb, dumb Tom walks out. I walk up to the UPS store and I realize as I'm walking in, I don't have my mask on. Now I kind of did, I did the, I did the site check if anybody else was in there and there was no distancing issues. So I went ahead and went in and I dropped it off. Like, you know, it's, it's kind of just common sense. You know, I also visited a family member who's in a long-term care facility where we go and do the, the meetings at the window and, and speak to them, you know, just, I think that's really what it comes down to. I don't deal well with nanny state and I have a tendency, I, I guess it's part of my ethos just to push back really hard on that. Um, and for me, and I, I know a lot of the people that I think, you know, are on, on my side of the aisle, the, the stuff with governor Bashir is really off putting and it comes across as very condescending in a sort of a, a self-made well, it's, world it's been, and the career and a, stuff that I've chosen. It's just, it's been that's just how it responds to me. I, I feel yeah. like it's been uneven with, with Bashir is, is the problem is you have some industries that are getting treatment that others aren't getting. And, you know, some of the stuff uh, as far as openings and closures has been unevenly applied. And, and I, you know, that's where you've seen the court step in on some things um, and, and strike some stuff down. You, you know, I, I think that there's a time we've talked about the show before, you know, there, there's just, it seems like, they're not taking any outside advice, any outside, they're not listening to people on the outside. And if you have the phone number of somebody who happens to be in that inner circle, yeah, your industry or your business may be able to get open, but it seems like, you know, there's, it's just, it's, it's been unevenly applied. I don't have a particular problem with a lot of stuff he's, he's put down because I don't want to have to go back into quarantine and I want schools to open again so I can keep my kids out of the house and I can actually do work during the day. But, you know, and, and, and we won't add that if people keep acting like idiots, but at the same time, you know, you can't just impose. You have to do it within the bounds of law, and it seems like it's been very unevenly applied. Well, I mean, I don't know that it's been unevenly applied, though, in the sense of, hey, wear a mask. Um, no, I'm talking about, I'm talking about mandate. some of the other stuff. I'm talking about some of the other stuff, like, like you know, like the Evans Orchard uh, lawsuit, that Evans Orchard can't have more than 10 people, but Kentucky Kingdom's got 1,000. You know, it's like, come on, man. <laughs> well, and like, okay, let's go ahead and, and let's, it's appropriate, I guess, in light of your experience yesterday, but let's go ahead and talk about Derby. 
I mean, oh, I, I, that, there's no way that's that's, that's insane. <laughs> I mean, it was so premature. There's pressure to do it. I understand that. I, I wish that they could do it too, but it's it sort of just eye roll. Like, why? Why now? There's no way it, that's gonna work. I, yeah. <laughs> no, I would agree on that. I mean, I think that's wishful thinking. I think a lot of times right now, especially even as we talk about opening up schools, um, this is a lot of wishful thinking. I think people want to hear that so that they can think that, you know, the ball is moving in the right direction and, and hopefully it is. But at the same time, I don't think there's enough um, uh, cautionary uh, expectation or uh, cautionary warning there. It's like, Hey, we're going to try this, but still could, could, you know, end up being canceled as well. Yeah. I, uh, I think manage that's, expectations. that's the problem right there is, is yeah, it needs to be managed because it, I, I do absolutely think we need to progress as if schools are going to open. I think it's fine to progress as if you're going to have Derby because it's easier to roll it back than it is to, to scale it up. But I think, yeah, I think you're right. Well, I think the, the expectations need to be much more like, Hey, we're setting up for it. That doesn't mean it's going to happen. You know, if you idiots don't put your masks on, it ain't going to happen. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to set the table, but if there's no yeah. food, you're not going to eat. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I, I think that's, you know, that, I think that's the key, I, you know, and I, it's funny because it's like legally. How do you make how do you make the the how do you distinguish it? So you are a uh, shareholder partner in that Railbird Music Festival that has started taking place in at Keeneland, right? Takes place in August, September. I guess that's the same time they've been. Yeah, doing how, yeah. How, how can you justify like you can have? How Derby, can you distinguish you it? Yeah. It's a business to a business. I mean, that you know, it's just you almost can't draw those lines, and so you just. I, I don't think that. We do it all the time, but I just government picking winners and losers, the animosity that creates this environment. Though, did Railbird cancel itself, or did the government say you can't help have it? I, I think they canceled itself, believing that they were not going to be allowed to have it. So, well, I mean, the only why, thing why, I could say about that more money on ads. You can't, you can't sit down and say because something might be difficult for me to get done, I shall not do it. No, um, I, I, that's I, that's I, not I, how that works. I you would can't bet, blame government for that. I would bet, and I don't know this for sure. I would bet that that they said we don't think we're going to be allowed to have it. We're not going to spend money on advertising and continue to sell tickets and have to refund that money. And you know, we're not we're not going to do all. Or maybe this. they looked at the liability. Yeah. Maybe no, they look, said, "What's what's the insurance risk?" You know, can well, we be covered thing. on this? You know, yeah. like those are the real questions, and those are things that are put into place because you know we actually have to protect people. Now, Churchill Downs, if they have a policy or are, you know, going to open themselves up to that kind of liability, that's up to them, I guess. But, you know, the government didn't say, hey, Railbird, you, you can't do this, but Churchill Downs can. Let's, yeah, but, just, let's make sure that we're clear on that, though. But the, uh, I mean, the problem there is, is that, you know, yeah, you're right for Churchill liability for itself. But if, those, you know, if it was just like if it wasn't transmittable outside of Churchill Downs, yeah, but the problem is then you get people to go to it and then bring it back to everybody else. And it, you know, th then it is a government issue where they need to step in and say, we're not going to let you take that risk because you, you're, you're going to open up many other infections. That, the, the Churchill thing is a stupid idea to begin with. But, you know, Tom, I, I think it's interesting that, you know, we talked about this multiple times with, uh, with Judge Ray Jones and with Judge Dan Mosley that, you know, my concern, I know with their concern, that once you open things back up and people start moving in and out of cities and, and you know, haven't seen Meemaw for, for five months, I'm going to go down and visit her, that, that the infections are going to spread to areas they weren't before. You know, Harlan, it was like May before they had their first case. I think Bell County didn't have one until late April. Uh, I talked to the county judge in Bell County the other day. They're, they're, about, they're about full. They're about a capacity in the hospitals. I know Harlan is as well. They're having... Uh, 
you know, and, and, a, and the issue there is a big out, you know, you get 70 to 100 cases, uh, new cases in Lexington, we have the hospital capacity to handle that. You get 15 new cases in Bell County, you're in some trouble. You know, you get 10 new cases in Harlan, you're in some trouble. They don't have capacity. So, you know, I, 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 I said early on, and Tom, you, you can attest this, I said early on that we probably needed to plan for, we're going to open, we're going to be open for like a month, and then we're probably going to have to scale back a little bit because we don't know where this thing's going to go once we open. I think that, that should have been an expectation laid out all along because it's exactly what's happening. Yeah, and it's, I mean, it seems reasonable that it's going to continue to happen. We're going to have to be in a situation where we can narrowly target huge amounts of resources on these things where we have these pockets and flare-ups. And remember, uh, it's, it's, it's not about stopping the virus. It's about, it's hospital, just about, it's about hospital capacity. It's about, yeah, that's exactly right. And it's always been. Because a virus is going to virus. And there's research now saying that the immunity for this thing that you get, if you've had it before, may only last two to four months. You know, we're still doing research on it. So herd immunity may be a fiction. It may not exist. And it may end up like the flu, you know, because there's a couple different strains of COVID out there. It may end up like the flu that you can get a vaccine, but, you know, you may get it. <laughs> we'll give you a vaccine for one strain. You might, you might get the other. Uh, yeah, so we, we, it's still new. We still don't know a lot about it. And, you know, I, I think we're going to have to plan on a lot of stops and starts and, and rollbacks and stops and starts and rollbacks and, and until we get a rhythm and a pace figured out on it. Or a vaccine. Yes, well, I thought saying, but, but we don't know, you know, it, it might end up like the flu where the vaccine's short-lived, you have to get it every year, and if there's multiple strains of this thing rolling around, you know, you, we may vaccinate you for one, but you can still get the other. It's just, it's, I, I'm a little worried about the antibody situation that it apparently, the, the, the immunity is not long-lasting on this thing. You're really booing my spirits today, Trey. <laughs> Well, yeah, you see where we got plague coming back. I mean, there's all kinds. Yeah, the bubonic plague is in Mongolia. That's great. Uh, a friend, friend, friend of the program, former RPK political director Josh Thomas had West Nile at a national like last month. So <laughs> we got that too. What about the murder hornets or the cannibal rats? Or, uh, murder, no, murder, murder hornets are last year's news. But the the cannibal rats that are eating each other because there's no longer as much yeah. trash in New York City was wild to me. Well, and there's monkeys taking over towns in India, too. Because the, the I mean, why not? I mean, no, there, there's a bear at the UK. Yes, business. yes, I there's mean, a bear like, just roaming around the, the hospital parking lot. Well, I mean, you know, just a friendly mascot. Just, keep, you know. keep your picnic baskets away. Uh, Did he have any toilet paper? Was it the Charmin bear? You know, because how, at this great time of tribulation without toilet paper, maybe he's delivering... How, you know. how, how long ago does it seem like we were talking about toilet paper and Tiger King? It seems like uh, the good old days. Like years ago. <laughs> it does. It feels that way. All right. We were worried uh, that liquor stores were going to close down. And, oh, that was never. Oh, uh, man. That was, well, hey, the good news on that, we'll get to another news item that we got here. Uh, you know, Tom, we didn't really talk about it last episode, but July 1st has passed, which means new laws are in effect. And one of those, as we had talked about with uh, Representative Adam Koenig, who sponsored the bill, we can now get booze to the mail. Um, you know, I used to, to do some stuff in the wine industry, and this was always a, a, a big deal because you couldn't do direct shipment into Kentucky um, from lots of little boutique 
wineries and things. Even like even if you just went and visited and you joined the club and you know you could, you yeah. could buy the occasional bottle. Now I'm not sure what the extent is of the licensing and registration requirements. Like if they have to get licensed in Kentucky, comparable to say a no, a bar, I think even long, a lower I think as long as you've, I think as long as you've got a distributor in your home state, you know, or, or, or port of origin, okay. then that's that's legal. Yeah, and and you know we're one of the I think this I have to look it up. I think there's only three states that allow you to ship. Uh, there's a whole bunch of ladies ship wine, not quite like 30 something that allow you to ship beer, but there's only like maybe 10 that allow you to ship liquor, but there's only three that allow you to ship all three. And we're, we're, we're one of them now. So I know well, that's something we'll, 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 we'll probably excited to take advantage of. <laughs> well, okay. Slightly tangential, but you guys, you know, we've got a lot of legislators that listen to the show. So I, I think this is an opportunity to, to begin a conversation. What things are we willing to go back from the new normal with COVID. And the specific one I'm talking about is to go margaritas from Mexican restaurants. So I live <laughs> close to a really great Mexican restaurant. And one of the things that, uh, you know, has happened through this is, it, I don't know how legal it was, executive order, whatever they did. And they're, even if it's just wink, wink, they're like, look, you can do to-go orders of margaritas from the restaurant when you do a to-go order. That needs to continue after this. Whatever the new normal is, this needs to be enshrined in statute. There needs to be a change. What do you guys think? Well, I think the, the restaurant industry is going to have a hard time coming back anyways. They're going to have to stay at a hybrid, uh, you know, takeout delivery slash, you know, reduced capacity uh, system for a while. And a large amount of the revenue that restaurants generate is from the bar. Uh, it, it's a very high margin portion of their business. Uh, and I think anything we can do to allow restaurants to have a chance at making it, we need to do. And I think that's, that's one of them. Yeah, I would agree with, uh, Trey on that too. Is um, you know, especially in Louisville where I live, we have so many great independently owned restaurants. And they do well cool cocktail life. stuff, Will. They like, they do, yeah. it's, it's not, it's not like you're buying a freaking like Bud Light and taking it out. Like they're doing like craft cocktails. Um, but you know, it is as well as lots of franchisees, uh, of other, you know, uh, bigger chains and, you know, for our economy and for those folks who've invested a lot of their time, talent, and treasure into those businesses, they deserve every available um, avenue to continue to operate and to be successful. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, uh, in the short run, at least, you can now get booze through the mail. So that's, that's good news for everybody. Um, <laughs> uh, Lexington is uh, going through an issue with the uh, police department. They had, uh, I think it was six officers retire uh, in the month of June. Uh, and, and I guess seven, actually, when you include the former police chaplain who was reassigned because they eliminated his, 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 uh, his role. Of course, this stems from uh, a civil rights lawsuit he's facing where he uh, he's reported, uh, repeatedly punching a teenager while responding to an incident at Fayette County Mall, or Fayette Mall in 2019. I'm reading this off WKYT right now. Uh, I guess there's video of it. The teenager is, is also facing charges for, I don't remember what it is, like theft or something. Or, uh, you know, so there was a reason to be arresting him. It's not like he just pulled a random teenager and started punching him. Um, but, uh, you know, that's, it's a kind of a controversy. I guess he's having a press conference today to talk about it. Uh, but you know, it's, we have, I think 604 officers in Fayette County. And so we've, we've just lost seven. I know New York city is going through a similar issue right now that they're, they're very worried about the retirements. Uh, actually, I think that they, they put a ban on early retirements right now. You're not allowed to buy extra time and you're not allowed to, to retire unless you're, you've got your, your years at the moment in New York city. Yeah, I think we're we're looking at the back end of some of the anti-police stuff. Uh, that you know, we're going to have an issue recruiting and especially retaining some of these guys, which 
know, it's gonna gonna cause a problem somewhere down the line because we're yeah we've got to we got to fix the system and we got to make you know we got to make systemic changes but at the same time bad guys are still gonna do bad guy things we need people to to help stop them and if we don't have the people that's a problem. Yeah, no, I would, I would only say to this though, like there you're right there are systemic problems here not only at the police department but in our society. Um, number one though we need to pay cops a really, you know, a much better wage, at least in Louisville, than what they make. Uh, I know Lexington probably is a commensurate salary. Well, Fayette well, be- County, remember, Fayette County is different. Fayette County Fire and Police, Tom, correct me if I'm not wrong, if I'm wrong, Fayette County Fire and Police are like the only ones that are separate from pretty much everything. Like they're their own, their own beast, right? They have their own pension system. Yeah. Um, which is poorly funded, and there's been some issues related to that secondary the cities had to come back and make catch-up payments where there were some math errors. So my, my one thing I would throw in from the perspective of somebody that sat on a retirement board like this, when you have a, a bunch of unexpected retirements, it's really expensive. And when you're playing with those actuarial computations and you have people jump out early, one of the things that the, you know, the police department treated as the employer, the retirement system is a separate entity. And so they have these cash exchanges. So like, for example, these six guys that retire or officers that retire, they will have to then pay out their annual leave balances and their sick leave balances and all these additional accrued benefits. I mean, those are big time cash transfers in a time where there's already a tremendous amount of stress on other government entities. So it, it's, it's, it's a, it's, it's a double whammy. Yeah. Anyway, well, you can get back so to your point. I, I just want to point out the issues with the Fayette County. Trey, what I was going to say was, I wasn't talking about retirements. I meant, like, we have to, number one, compensate. In order to recruit and retain the best officers, you have to compensate them at the level that they deserve. Yeah. At the same time, though, we need to practice proportional response with our policing. You know, if you ever watch that West Wing episode where, you know, there's like, two American soldiers get killed and, you know, Jed Bartlett's like, well, let's just blow up the whole country. And, you know, McGarry's like, Hey, we're going to hit just like this base where nobody is because it's a proportional response. It's what we do. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But you know, when somebody is maybe shoplifting, I don't know that you, you know, beat the Holy crap out of them. Yeah. You know, like, I don't, I don't know that that's great police work. Um, That sounds to me like there's a, a disconnect there. Now, I don't know the circumstances surrounding all of those things, but we've got to stop looking at people because people are going to make mistakes. We're human beings. Uh, and the police are there to protect us from the real bad guys. And there has to be some separation though between serve and protect and then warrior culture. We need those warriors for when the real bad guys are out there. But when you have things that can be resolved with a social worker or uh, with you know, a different type of policing, um, mental you know, health care. Mental, yeah, mental health care advocates uh, uh, being there. You know, we need to explore those things. And, you know, I think it's it's sad that, you know, some of these cops are deciding to retire. It's definitely not the police force that they've known. You know, it's not your father's police department anymore. Uh, it's not your father's community anymore. Times are changing, hopefully for the better. And we're going to have a dialogue about, you know, how we best confront some of these things that cause crime, though, and that create the need for having these officers, which is, you know, uh, systemic racism, uh, I think uh, radical amounts of injustice towards communities of color, uh, as well as uh, we have problems with uh, economics, uh, both for, you know, the, the 
you cross the color barrier. I mean, there are too many people without right now. Um, they're, you know, going to be looking for ways to, uh, you know, make it in this world that might not be the best choices all the time. But, you know, we're, we're going to have those conversations, I'm sure, over the next few months in this election and into the future that we can make a more, you know, just and uh, open society. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, and this, this goes, <laughs> this goes across the board with a lot of things going on right now. Not every, not every single situation is the same. And you need to give, you need to have good people, you need to compensate them well, and you need to give them the ability to make judgment calls on which response is appropriate for which situation. And you also have to, have to understand they're humans and they're going to make mistakes and you can't just, you can't just throw the whole damn system out because one mistake got made. Right. I would actually say this, you know, a lot of times we're hearing now from, you know, the, the officers, uh, the FOP and places like that, you know, hey, the actions of one bad cop, two bad cops, maybe even three, doesn't mean that everybody that wears the uniform is a, is a bad cop. Um, and I think if you talk to the African-American community, they would say the same thing about their community. Just because one, two or three African-Americans made a bad choice doesn't mean that their community should be labeled as you know, a bunch of criminals or should be racially profiled or should be treated any different uh, than anybody that's white or Asian or any other color uh, that, that seems to get a different uh, uh, pass. Let's just call that a pass on some things that they're doing. So, yeah, be, be, being, being a jackass knows no race, creed, employment, economic level. <laughs> very true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, you can be a jackass rich, you can be a jackass poor, black or white, you know, and you can't, can't just tag them all the same. Um, moving along, Amy McGrath, uh, her staff is unionized, Tom. Uh, I, mean, just, I laughed so hard when I read that. I mean, that's great. Well, I mean, now, you're, you're from the other side of the aisle. You, you know, you're, you, you're, you're down with the union guys. I mean, would you... I, to, to me, as, as a campaign, as a, as a long time, multiple campaign staffer, I wouldn't do this because I like to win. You know, I, I would much rather say, you know what, I don't even need 15 bucks an hour. Take care of me in the back end. And if we can, and we, we need, you know, we need to put that money into freaking ad buys. Like the, the extra stuff and the extra expenses that comes along with unions, I, I like to win and donors aren't giving candidates money. I, I, I just I have a huge problem with this overall. For, donors give candidates money to help them win elections, not to have, you know, staff having healthcare and stuff. And I just fundamentally as a campaign staffer, I wouldn't even want any of that stuff because I want to win. And if it gives me an advantage because my opponent is, you know, paying all this money to their staff for all this extra, all these extra perks and stuff, fine, I'll, I'll let them do it. I'm a, we'll, we'll, we'll beat them on the, on the airwaves. So, I mean, well, that's kind of like, um, do people invest in the stock market, buy shares of Humana or, you know, uh, Brown Foreman to say, hey, I hope they give their employees health care. No, they don't do it for that. They do it to make a profit. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, you know, that company, in order to be in good standing with people and the consumer and, the, you know, the customer, they want to provide a, a workspace for people that creates a good product, number one and puts on a good outward face. So that's that's why they do that. Uh, also, have, it's the right thing to do. Have, now in democratic you, politics and campaigns, I see what you're saying, but at least from my side of the aisle, a lot of our campaigns are no longer funded solely by big dollar, you know, max gift contributors. You know, the bulk and the majority of money that comes in 
uh, is online small dollar donors from, you know, that Bernie Sanders quote, average John contribution, $27. Exactly. Those are people, those are people though, that don't make a killing in life uh, financially. And they do understand that, you know, protections are important for employees. And so if they're going to give part with their hard earned money, whether it's $5 or 5,000, you know, they want to know that the person they're giving it to uh, is an honest broker and cares about the people that are working for them now. And that way, when they go to Washington, they can believe that they'll be voting in their best interest of the workers and the people that make this world run, rather than the people that make the decisions about how it's run. Just curious, have you seen on the D side, have you seen an impact on Democrat fundraising for like in a campaign where one unionizes and one doesn't? Have you seen an impact on fundraising where I'm not saying this to like, to like poke a hole. I'm actually curious. Has there been an impact in fundraising where like if one candidate unionizes that, that there, there's people out there who, who will give them more than they might have otherwise or donate to them over another person because, uh, like you said, they're, they're kind of sending, sending a signal on where they are? So I think if you look at it, yeah. I mean, so all of the Democrats on our side are jockeying for, um, you know, the endorsements or the blessings of organizations like Organized labor, which is a big part of our, our you know, umbrella. Uh, we look at organizations like uh, PCCC, which is the Progressive uh, Change Campaign Committee, or uh, DFA, or Justice Democrats, or any of these other organizations that now have huge followings, getting Bernie Sanders to endorse you, or uh, Elizabeth Warren, or, you know, even some, uh, you know, to the, to the more moderate side, like a Joe Biden. You know, some of those people are going to ask, you know, hey, are you, if your staff wants to unionize, are you going to allow that? Now, you know, I don't know very many uh, Democrats that are going to be, you know, really great fundraisers uh, that aren't talking about those issues, especially on a presidential level. Um, you know, I don't remember John Hickenlooper or Steve Bullock or anybody else talking about unionizing staffs. And, you know, they were kind of lagging behind in, well, in the presidential race. Hick, Hick, Hickenlooper's got beer to brew, man. Come on. <laughs> <And> look, they've <laughs> done very well as Senate candidates, though, raising money. But I think on a presidential yeah. level uh, and on some other levels where, you know, some people might be questioning too, like your commitment to labor, you know, so if your staff gets to unionize and you allow that, that shows your good faith that look, you know, obviously if I'm allowing my team to do this on the campaign, I'm going to be with you, you know, uh, if I'm elected to office. Ah, just, you know, in a, in a competitive environment where the goal is to win an election, it seems to me that, that, uh, that move is giving your opponent a, a competitive advantage because the cost of doing business is now lower for me than it is for you. Yeah. There's a point of saturation though, too. I mean, there is. we're, we're going to find that out with oh, this, this year's going to be tough. Grass money. Yeah. Look, in a, in a small market like Kentucky, you know, it's pretty cheap for it's, all. Intended it's going to be an inventory issue. Yeah. I, also, <laughs> I mean, like, what are you going to do with all that money? I mean, do the right thing is, is, you know, Amy McGrath's campaign a reflection then of, you know, that she cares about her workers and the interns and the people that are, you know, bleeding for her, uh, you know, will that have any reflection, uh, will that be reflected in, in the vote tally? I don't know, but it's at least a, a talking point where she says, look, I see you, you know, normal people that are working, that are doing the hard work, you know, uh, you're important to me, I value you, uh, and this is how I can demonstrate that value versus, you know, Senator McConnell, which I don't know what his campaign does or how they operate or, you know, if it's, because, you know, I want to win so bad, I can't pay you. Um, well, but I think the understanding is you get rewarded on the back end. You know, I mean, at the end of the day, a campaign's a t temporary job. And so, like, you know, I work on campaigns to make the connections and, and to do the next thing. It's not – it's to win the election, and then and then how can I parlay my experience and connections next? So, yeah. Well, I, that's, 
it's, it's just a talking point. I mean, to have any real significant benefit, I mean, campaigns by their inherent nature are short-term organizations, whereas you're trying to make, you know, from a HR standpoint, when you're trying to improve working conditions, uh, you know, deal with uh, changes in healthcare costs. I mean, those types of things that you would normally, you know, have a give and take negotiation between employer and employee. I mean, there isn't time to do that in a campaign. I mean, you're, you're around for, these are extraordinary campaigns with all the attention that McConnell and McGrath are getting. And we're talking, you know, like year and a half. I mean, and th- this is so far to the, the end of the spectrum. I mean, a normal campaign is, you know, it's, it's a cycle. It's a year. I mean, with primary, I mean, it's, and that's if, that's if everything goes great. I just, I don't know what the benefit is other than it's just a talking point. I mean, should those people be allowed to have health care while they're there on the campaign? Allowed to? I mean, I should, should it be provided? I, I guess it's case by case. I mean, I uh, never did. on an ideal, <laughs> yeah, I've never got Me either, but that doesn't make I've it right. Campaign. Well, it doesn't no. make it wrong either. I mean, I, I just, I, I don't know. It's a Look, kind of a young person. My, my argument is this. If, if you if have that kind of money. If I think they should offer it. If you have but that I, kind of money to. and that you're saying that, you know, okay, what, what, what would their union contract look like over there? It's probably like, hey, I'm going to make a, a fair wage for fair work. I'm going to be provided health care. You know, I'm not going to be put into harm's way. I don't think that there's some kind of pension system going on. I think it's for basic worker protections. And, you know, if you have the kind of money that, that she has right now to demonstrate the fact that, you know, your, your workers are important to you and the interns too, as well, you know, I'm willing to make that commitment. Yeah, I, mean, and I was, think that demonstrates something. I think that tells you about your values. She was finding ways to spend money in 18. She, she had some like inventing ways. So yeah, get the cash, whatever. <laughs> does, she need, does she need some opposition research? <laughs> like, like, what the hell? That type of money is good. All right. Uh, Good for her. I'm happy. I'm happy for her team. Staying on the campaign trail, Mitch McConnell's got a new ad out uh, using uh, critical statements uh, about McGrath from the, uh, I think it's got the, the Courier Journal. It's got the uh, the Richmond Register, uh, another paper, some sort in there. And then, uh, well, it's got a quote from uh, from your uh, most recent boss, uh, Charles Booker, taking a taking a shot at McGrath, saying Kentuckians can, can smell BS. Uh yeah, it's it's the middle of summer. People aren't going to remember these ads when we get to when we get to November. That is a good ad, though. I don't, you know, I don't usually comment on Mitch McConnell's negative attack ads. <laughs> number one, because well, but, but this, this, this was using the words of Democrats. So that's <laughs> I'm, I'm waiting for the Senate Majority Leader to look back on his record and say, because of the 36 years I've spent in the Senate, Kentucky's in the top 10 in all these categories. I've been one of the most powerful Republicans for almost two decades in Washington. I, you know, in my state has seen the benefits of that happen. Here are all the top categories we're in. I want him to advertise on those things, but you know, he won't because we're last in so many categories or in the bottom 10 states in so many categories. And look, Mitch McConnell is a great politician. I respect the fact that he's a good politician. I don't know that he's a great benefactor for the Commonwealth of Kentucky because I think to him, being a senator means being in Washington, being in power, confirming judges. But it's not about confirming that you're going to have quality health care that's affordable and accessible to you. It doesn't mean that he's going to confirm the fact that, you know, you're going to have financial security in some form of an economic opportunity in the community where you came up in so that, you know, your kids can stay there so you can succeed in those places. I haven't heard one thing about that. I do see a lot of these ads, though. I see a lot of, a lot of you know, 
pass the blame, you know, oh, this guy's a bad guy, you know, or this woman's done this. And look at all these bad things people say. But I'm just waiting for him to, to, to just remind us all about why we're not in the top 10, top 20 even, after 36 years of this strong leadership. What, okay. Where's that at? Well, remember, remember, well, he can only appropriate money and get stuff here. He can't uh, spend it properly, and I think that that's up to the uh, Democrat-controlled uh, General Assembly for all that time and all the Democrat governors we had. So, I mean, this is a guy that wants to repeal and replace Obamacare, which led to literally – you were just talking about hospitals and rural communities. He wasn't for the Medicaid expansion or any of these other things you know, that, that also kept all of those open. So that in case something like this happens or a farmer bleeds out from getting, you know, a tractor injury on his combine, maybe even out in the field, he would have access to someplace like that. But this is not a guy. So it's not just about, you know, the, the priorities um, or I'm sorry, about appropriating money. It's about his priorities and his value system. And I mean, if you guys can tell me why he's not running an ad that says in the last 36 years, you know, I've been one of the most powerful people in Washington, the Grim Reaper. You know, I mean, the things that he qualifies himself as being as good are kind of strange because, again, we're not in the top 10 or top 20 in anything. I remember, Will, it's, it's, it's a long campaign. I think if you look back to 2008, I think as we get closer to the campaign, people, pay, people are paying more attention. You'll see a lot of what you saw in 2008, which were very uh, regionalized, in some cases, micro DMA created ads with local officials talking about the different projects and different things that uh, the senator was, was able to, uh, to secure money or to pass legislation to, to, to allow happen. I, I think, you know, I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a campaign. You're, you're, it's a, it's a, it's a symphony, not a song here. So I think we'll get to that point of the campaign. I think we'll hear. I hope so. We'll, we'll, we'll hear plenty about, about the COVID packages. We'll hear plenty about stuff like, uh, like the locks and dams out in West Kentucky, uh, you know. What about letting the state go bankrupt? I think if, if you if you were to listen that to the whole comment, that's not what he was talking about. He was saying that the federal government shouldn't be there to pick up the pieces, that we should be there to get them back to, to where they were before COVID, uh, was, was what he was saying. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, moving on, the U.S. has pulled out of who? The World Health Organization. Uh, I personally... Now, I think that there was a mistake made that we didn't have a successor plan for it. However, the World Health Organization, uh, the UN Commission on Human Rights is the worst of all of them. A lot of these NGOs have been uh, kind of co-opted by a combination of bad actors and bureaucrats who exist to make sure the organization continues to exist rather than to actually secure their mission. You know, who, who... I, I don't think they were complicit as in they were working with the Chinese or anything, but I think that they trusted the Chinese when they shouldn't have. And, and it did slow down the response to the stuff at the beginning of it. You know, I, I think we need to hit a hard restart on, on all, I mean, dude, the UN Commission on Human Rights has been shared by Syria, Libya, when Gaddafi was in charge and, and China, like that thing's a joke. <laughs> who, who, who is, is, Similar, but again, I, I think pulling out without a successor organization of some sort is a mistake. But you know, sometimes these things get kind of rotted from inside, and, and it's almost better to hit the restart on some of these NGOs. I don't know. I don't know what to say to that other than in the middle of a pandemic, 
you you pull out of the World Health Organization. <laughs> that they didn't do that much to help on in the first place. I mean, they, they you know, they're out there saying in January that you can't transmit it, uh, that, that asymptomatic people can't transmit it and it can't be transmitted through the air. Like, you know, they, they, they trusted the Chinese on stuff when they shouldn't have. But this, you know, again, this is not... President Trump said we were only going to have like 15 cases and it's going to disappear in a month. Oh, I'm not saying he's handled yeah, it. Well. I'm not saying he's handled it well. I'm talking more macro on on yeah. the international politics of these some of these organizations. But you know, the, the whole the whole freak out over it, it, you know, holding it up as if it's some sort of like, you know, gold standard. Or no, a, a lot of these groups need a hard a hard reset with a, with a with a with a new a new version. That's because because also remember a lot of these organizations were set up during the Cold War or immediately post-World War II and haven't really gone through significant structural reforms to adapt them to today's world. So, you know, is that I, I, I think a lot, of these, a lot of these NGOs need need either a hard reset or a complete reform. The mistake to me here is pulling out before there's a successor one already in place. Well, it's a, it's a pretty slow pullout too, right? I mean, this yeah. is months and months and all will come around after the election and as whatever you think of the disruptive leadership style that, that Trump operates through, I mean, this is pretty classic Trump playbook to go and do something like this and solicit a response and then, you know, negotiate it at the last minute. I mean, that's just sort of how he, how he operates. Very unsettling. Yeah. yeah. We'll see what happens with it. You know, it's, is what it is. Uh, Ivy League has canceled all fall sports. Now this and concerns me actually because it could be a precursor to Notre Dame not playing football this year. Yes, that's that's just crazy to me. Yeah, that's kind of that's kind of been the the belief that this might be the precursor to to everything else. You know, it's again idiots. I think was it K Ivy uh said like if you want to see Alabama play football this fall you need to wear a mask (laughs) not only her I think Henry McMaster did the same thing in South Carolina you want to watch Clemson play you want to watch the Gamecocks play put on a mask yeah I I mean you know again people just (sighs) I don't understand how wearing a mask is like that infringing upon your freedoms that we're gonna it's just it's insane it is the it is the craziest thing I've I've ever come across. But I'm also not willing to risk though the lives of anybody to watch Notre Dame play football. Those well, that's great. I mean, I miss it. I will definitely miss it. But I, I think we should be really smart here. So it is can, you know, it is a larger issue. You know, you have you have these kids playing and and they're in close quarters. It's you know it can't really social distance that one a football field. And it's one thing to have them like at camp where you're where you're kind of quarantined. You're in a small bubble together. These kids have to go to, you know, they're they are student athletes, and yep. they have to go to class. What happens if if that something's spreading around? They're asymptomatic before they before they test positive, and they're in class with two hundred kids and spreading around. You know, all of a sudden, you got a whole campus hotbed. You think they'll do MTI? <laughs> well, uh, Harvard Harvard is already Harvard's already that. announced, and you know, and, there, and there's a whole other problem there. Uh, actually, a friend of mine is affected by because he was supposed to start uh, at Columbia in the fall. And he may have to. Uh, he's in a weird, he's in a really weird spot because he's Venezuelan. He cannot go home because <laughs> he's not from the uh, people in charge wing of the party or wing of the country down yeah. there. Um, but if you the new rule that they passed, which is I don't even understand. I, I can't comprehend the logic of this one. 
if the, if the college you're going to is all NTI, you can't stay in the country. Which is ridiculous. Now, that one, I, I guarantee you will get thrown out. I guarantee you that one will get overturned. But it's going you know, to have to be fought. And it's like, this, this guy's worried about, he, he, I guess he's, his plan is to go to Spain, but he'd have to go through like some other countries because he can't go from the U.S. to the EU. It's a whole mess. And so, you know, it's just a stupid policy that I'm assuming will get thrown out of court. But, uh, you know, yeah, so the Ivy League is, is or at least Harvard, I think Harvard and Princeton, Columbia, I think are all uh, NTI for, the, for at least the fall semester. Let's look at some, some um, you know, nasty underbelly of this, right? I, I want to go out on a limb and guess that the, uh, the ESPN contract for the Ivy League uh, football season – Ain't big. It, it ain't big. <laughs> uh, compare and contrast to, you know – NBC's like Notre Dame. doing Notre Dame, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, a very, it's a very different situation. I also thought it was telling that although Harvard has gone 100% to NTI, that they are not – at least from what I've read, they're not making any adjustment to the their tuition. tuition. Yeah. Which is ludicrous. Absolutely ludicrous. And then you, you know, you go and add to it the amount of money that they receive through, you know, the different uh, government programs. I mean, it's clearly not intended to be used, you know, with organizations that have the, the ability to fund like this. Um, I actually, you know, I won't say which school it is, but a, a prominent private school in Kentucky through a faculty member. Uh, it sounds like we're getting really close to some decisions like that here as well, looking at uh, 100% NTI. So, as long, as long as they tough. don't do it, as long as they don't do it for elementary school, public elementary school, because <laughs> it's it's hard to teach. It's hard. It's hard to get a first grader to grasp uh, how to learn via NTI. <laughs> and you know, I got work. Yeah, to I do, got man. one of those. Yeah, will be in the second grade. So. You know, the high schooler I have, not not worried about it. The middle schooler I have, not worried about it. It's uh, the little guy. Yeah, he's. Uh... Well, and, and my issue with that is, you know, kid like kindergarten, not so much, but first, second, third grade, I think is where you learn. You learn how to learn. It's not about like actually what you learn, especially like you know, mine's mine can like full on read. He can do math. Like he he could probably just go into second or third grade and be fine. But he's got to learn how to learn and learn how to you know, how you do school and you can't learn that via NTI. You have to, you have to be in a classroom to do it. Trey, are you saying you're not qualified to teach your son how to learn? Uh, my college and high school GPAs would probably say no. <laughs> my, my, I love my, it. my two, three, three college GPA and two, eight, five high school. And woo, Master out of the, park. Of the gentleman's C. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I love that quote. It was from, what was it? George Bush went back and did the, the graduation speech, like for MBA at, at Harvard. He's like, you know, all you guys in the front row and, you know, you've made A's at Harvard. You can do anything in the world. And all you guys in the, in the back with the C averages, you know, I don't know, but you can be president of the United States. <laughs> I love that joke. I always tell people I had a lot of fun at center. I had a lot yeah. of fun. <laughs> C is for center. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know, you know what? The diploma that hangs on my wall looks exactly the same as somebody who worked their butt off and got a 3.64. 3.65, you're, it would have said come lot on it. But 2.001 to 3.64, that piece of paper looks the same. <laughs> it's fantastic. 
another, another new law that took effect uh, on the first, House Bill 453, and I didn't even see this one uh, when it passed. It must have passed late in the session, especially with that bill number. Um, but it uh, has handed over all of the processing uh, stuff for, for driver's license back to, and I think, Tom, I think it was at the transportation cabin once before. Am I, am I correct on that? I don't know. Maybe. Because I, I think, I think some stuff, I'm, I don't remember. I'm fairly certain back in the 80s, somebody went to jail for, for some shenanigans with the, uh, a transportation cabinet secretary went to jail for some shenanigans with the, uh, with the, with the driver's licenses. But anyway, uh, they're, uh, that, that is now being moved from the, from the circuit clerk's offices to the transportation cabinet. And the first of those uh, kind of moves is taking place in Fayette County. So starting today uh, from the uh, report I read, starting yesterday, I guess, uh, now instead of get, get going down to the courthouse to get your driver's license renewed, you got to go over to, uh, to Leestown Road to a transportation cabinet facility. The good news about this is they will be doing the real IDs there, uh, which, you know, it's been a whole fiasco on the rollout of those. It's, it's, uh, I think when they first started doing it, the circuit court clerks were saying it took like 25 minutes for every processing of an ID because you've got to come in with like a birth certificate, a social security card, you know, there's a whole process to, to, to do that. And if we don't have real IDs, if you don't have a real ID by, I think we got another extension. So it'd be by next October, you won't be able to go on a military base or get on a plane. Uh, so uh, I just kind of an interesting change uh you know, and kind of the, the way that government functions. Um, another news yeah, item. It, date, it dates back. It's all that real ID stuff. As a good, you know, former uh, civil servant, I think it's important to always keep your passport up to date. Yes. I keep mine close all the time. So. Uh, Tom, an interesting news item that kind of crosses party lines now uh, that just, just came across since we've been recording. Uh, I guess somewhat friend of both of our parties, Carol Hubbard, has been permanently disbarred. Oh, <laughs> permanently disbarred by the kentucky state supreme court uh carol hubbard is a nuisance and a menace to society you know so i i had somebody a friend of mine through the young republicans in virginia uh send me a facebook message uh, i guess this was or i don't know if this is early this year or, or late last year it said hey you're quoted on a podcast that i was listening to and it's a podcast about political scandals and they have a whole episode about Carol Hubbard. And at the end of it, they're, they're like, you know, and here's where Carol Hubbard is now. And they were talking about him switching parties. And they used my quote from Joe, that I gave to Joe Girth on Twitter that Joe used in an article that was like, we don't want him either. <laughs> I mean, just, you know, get a real job. <laughs> I don't know. He's a, he's a strange person. But you know what's funny? He raised good money in the, in this in this Republican primary. Like he raised like forty or fifty grand. Yeah, I think people think of him, think well of him for some reason down there, uh, or some do. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've had a couple of run-ins with him uh, throughout my years at the Kentucky Democratic Party, uh, and yeah, uh, you know, I'd like to say as a good Christian something nice about him, um, but I just can't. <laughs> um. Speaking of legal issues, uh, Tom, we saw yesterday the uh, uh, kind of a list of people who have written letters on behalf of Jerry Lundergan to uh, to the sentencing court uh, as came out in, in advance of the hearing. And it's an interesting list, I thought. Uh, you know, you got Bill Clinton, John Calipari, uh, Joe Kraft, uh, Daryl Brock, and Steve Robinson, or Steve Robertson. Uh, 
you know, it's a, it, it's, it's, it's a, an interesting list of people speaking up on behalf of, uh, of Jerry. Yeah, I thought it, it, it was a certainly an impressive list of people. I wonder, um, his colleague, I wonder how many people are sending letters on behalf of Dale. I want to go out on a limb and say maybe it's not as not as thick a stack. You want to touch that one, Will? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I He's truly, still got an ad running in the bar journal every month. I um, or, I was going to say, you know, I, I I definitely would expect that Dale is getting his fair share also of letters. Um, you know, look, no matter what, I think these these two guys, especially you know, when you look at Jerry's situation in this article we're discussing now. You know, a lot of people from both parties uh, who are community leaders and influence makers and have obviously a lot of skin in the game to step in to, you know, and, and step in on his behalf to vouch for his character obviously demonstrates that Jerry Lundergan is not this, you know, devil, you know, slick, political, wily guy that's, you know, out to get his. He's, you know, he's a great community member. He's a great father. He's somebody that's devoted his life to public service. Uh, in one way, shape, or form or another. He's a great, or a very devout Catholic and a good family person. And, you know, everybody makes mistakes. We were just talking about it earlier. Uh, you know, was there intent to make that mistake? You know, that obviously is up for the courts to decide. But uh, I consider Jerry Lundergan a friend of mine. And, uh, you know, I've always appreciated how kind he was to me when I had any, um, you know, discussions with him. And the same thing with Dale Emmons. Um, so I wish, I wish them the best, and I'm praying for both of them. I think on the political side, you know, we had Scott Jennings on last week, and you know, as much as as much as I like to see a a good uh, a good witch hunt, I, I, the more I think of that, the more I think Scott is probably correct it, it, in that, you know, did, did did these guys make an error? Yeah, should there be some punishment of some sort? Yeah, but you know, we start locking people up for campaign finance violations like this when there, and I don't and I don't know what the solution is, but there you know there needs to be a there needs to be a stick to swing to prevent it, but at the same time, you know, we got bigger fish to fry than to have these guys run away in prison for, you know. I mean, that is where part. Scott Jennings, uh, who I also consider a friend, uh, you know, uh, and I will agree 100%. I don't know that for any, re you know, these are not murders or, you know, violent offenses. Uh, you know, we need to figure out a better way to police the system and to make people, you know, to get big money out of politics, period. But at the same time, I don't think jail sentences or, uh, you know, removing people from society is a great way to solve this problem. Nor, again, do I think it's a proportional response to what's happened. Yeah, uh, as, the, as the guy who replaced Tim Longmire, <laughs> and he spent several years in regular contact with the FBI and saw candidly, on Longmire, Sullivan, all of the different, I mean, the number of people and the height that that went to, and the fraction, the small fraction of the things that actually transpired that got taken to light. Uh, I'm gonna, I'm confident that there are other things that are there and that this is not the end of the Lundergan story. Uh, the folks that I talked to and the things that continue to go on with uh, the former Secretary of State, I mean, just let's just, just consider this like the preface to the book that will be written about this dynasty and its fall. Um, it, it, there's a long way to go, fellas. I, I would I would hold back comments for fear of of being quoted later. <laughs>
Well, like I said, on the, on campaign finance specifically, you know, the, of course, the issue here. It, well, you know, wait, Will, Tim Longmire. Tim Longmire's deal was not campaign finance. He was yeah, legitimately stealing, being bribed, embezzling money, and then you know, getting. And he was taking, and he was taking the money, or he was directing individuals to make straw man contributions to campaigns and the state Democratic Party. And, um, amongst again, these are just the things that actually. Came yeah, but out. yeah, but, but he's 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 in he's in jail for the for the for the embezzlement. Remember, we have such we have such worthless, toothless campaign finance laws in this in this state that if it was just the straw man donations, I mean, K. Riff can basically just say, "Oh, silly, you stop it. Don't do that anymore." Like, you know, our our state they level the money. Yeah, our state level campaign finance laws are worthless. You know, Longmire is in jail because he did bigger stuff. Now, I do think that we need to. The only thing that man, what Tim actually took the fall on is nominal it was on some state contracting issues and again the funds the funds were then used to go and make donations to political campaigns because that was how tim got that was what made tim important is that people saw that he could generate cash for candidates there's a specific line in there when in uh uh, former governor Bashir, you know suggesting that we need to get tim on this to throw one of his one of his parties Uh, that's what he did yeah, I, my my point is, KREF needs some actual teeth if we're gonna have real campaign finance laws because they're uh, former they're, 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 registry of election finance member, and I will tell you it's very <laughs> intentional that they don't. Um, yeah. Neither neither um, neither party wants to see that institution particularly empowered, and they also want it to be done in such a way. I mean, it it, it one it strengthens the incumbents, and two it, you don't want to create something where people are you know running out and and you know, filing complaints, getting a bunch of media coverage because somebody, you know, screwed up a sign and didn't put the name of their, you know, treasurer I, on the bottom of it. I, I, I do that already, so. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you probably sent half the crap I had to deal with while I was there in. Probably. I filed, I filed a, lot of, a lot of KRF complaints. I, I, I had, the, I had the, the form down pretty well. <laughs> um, all right. Well, I mean, uh, I, I don't have much else, and uh, it's uh, almost noon here as we tape, and I gotta I gotta check out the uh, the race schedule for today, Tom. So, uh, uh, Will, you got anything yeah. else you want to bring up? No, I appreciate you guys. Uh, let me join you today and get to know Tom better. Uh, his curriculum vitae of all the positions he's held uh, over the years has been neat I've, to learn about. Dude, my, my, I got my, a bunch of crappy jobs, man. My, I can't, my, can't keep my a job, favorite. Will. I cannot keep a job. That's the problem. <laughs> Tom, my, fav- my, my favorite. My favorite. My favorite is uh, is highest ranking unindicted member of the Fletcher personnel cabinet. I like that. Uh, Republican that should be number. like yeah, needle pointed Republican on a pillow. <laughs> <laughs> I got. I'm working on a crochet belt. So there you <laughs> go. Be <Yeah>. nice. <laughs> All right. Nice well, to talk uh, to you guys. As, as, as always, uh, you can get us wherever you stream your podcast: Google, uh, Spotify. Uh, SoundCloud, Stitcher. Uh, if you get us on Apple Podcasts, please be sure to give us a review. And we'll be back with you next week on another, another Kentucky Politics Week.